We all want to feel better, be happier, and have more freedom. And there are endless resources at our fingertips. But wading through a sea of self-help books, podcasts, and workshops takes more time than anyone has. Except me. That's my job. I curate and translate the latest, most effective personal development wisdom to help you elevate your personal experience and improve the way you show up for others. I'm Kevin Miller, and this is Self-Helpful. Why your mental state is sabotaging your fitness and how to trust your gut again. I just want an easy step-by-step formula to look, feel, and perform great. I want to eat whole and healthy foods, exercise, get good sleep. It should be that simple, and yet it's not, and a lot of you know it. As you do these things as well, and you're not experiencing the level of health and wellness that you desire, our mental health can sabotage our efforts, and I'm not talking even anything severely acute. I'm pretty open about my own struggles with anxiety, not from some grand trauma, it's just kind of how I roll. And I'm more and more aware of how it negatively affects me, especially my gut. You've likely heard about the brain-gut connection, but I find very few people really give much attention to this or have much understanding. I mean, how can you trust your gut, though, that intuitive feeling, if your gut's a boiling cauldron of a mess? And most of us have a compromised gut. My guest today to talk about this is Dr. Will Cole. I became aware of Dr. Cole through Gwyneth Paltrow, the actress, as he is her doctor and a primary provider in her Goop wellness and lifestyle brand and company. If you remember, I not long ago had Terry Reel on the show. He's Gwyneth's therapist and relationship relationship expert, also part of that Goop network. Well, Will has become the health and wellness resource for a lot of celebrities. I see his Instagram recently even showcasing him working with Leanne Rimes and Drew Barrymore, but I've been paying attention to him for a long time. He's really got the chops. I respect his work a lot. And he has a new book that, as you'll hear, he says is unlike anything he's ever written before. It's called Gut Feelings. Healing the shame-fueled relationship between what you eat and how you feel. And it gets more into the philosophy of our wellness, more than just the clinical prescriptive aspects, which to me is the foundation. I mean, your health and wellness will ultimately be a result of your own philosophy on health and wellness. Will actually coined the term shame flammation that we're going to talk about here in a second, which I encourage you to tune into. I find that shame is a reality with everybody, but a lot of men a majority, honestly, of men. And it's a a topic, shame, that they're often ignorant of and prone to avoid even thinking about and looking into. And I can raise my hand as somebody who has been in that same camp. So you're going to hear some paradigm shifting information here on your health and wellness. Friends, thanks for tuning in. This self-helpful podcast was founded through the Zig Ziglar Corporation. June 15, 16 of 2023, I'm going to be in Dallas to attend and speak at the Ziglar Coach Summit. You can find it at Ziglar, Z-I-G-L-A-R.com slash Coach Summit. And if you want to influence people for the better, professionally and personally, which I know you do, check out the website and think about joining me there. I'd love to be with you face-to-face for a couple of days. 
following these sponsors who help make the show possible and provide great resources for your life, I bring you Dr. Will Cole and a discussion on how your emotions are supporting or sabotaging your efforts for wellness. And you can find Will at Dr. or Dr. How about Dr. Dr. Will Cole, C-O-L-E dot com. I'm a foodie and I enjoy learning about the process that brings great foods and beverages from idea to the table. And then I like tasting them and learning the nuances of what creates the most significant tastes from coffee to cheese to distilled beverages. I did a tequila tasting in Mexico and recently bourbon, Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon really impressed me from the story to the taste. I grew up in Kentucky where horse racing and bourbon are famous and I got introduced to Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon. It's produced by Heaven Hill Distillery, which has been and still remains family owned since 1935. And I'm impressed with the bourbon's ultra rich, smooth taste. And right on the bottle, it states that this bourbon is seven years old, which is actually three times longer than what's required to be certified as bottled in bond. I feel with beverages, the longer the prep, the better the taste. Being a bottled in bond product means it must pass a list of seven requirements that set the standard for this quality bourbon. So look for it at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Will, as we were talking a second ago, I was going to have you on the show with your last book, and apparently my people didn't follow up with your people, but I wanted to have you on here. I, I so am a fan of your, an advocate of your of functional medicine, of what you stand for, of what you do. I'm interested in, at the beginning of this book, you literally say, this book is different than anything I've ever written. Tell me more. Thank you so much. I'm glad we're talking too. This is going to be fun. Yes. Uh, yeah. So it's a lot of what I've written before. It's my fourth book. I've written more straightforward clinical nutrition based, functional medicine based, prescriptive, if you will, as far as, okay, this is a protocol. This is how you can use food and wellness in very specific granular ways. Gut feelings is really more, um, philosophical it is more nonlinear. it's more of the the heart why we do the things whatever we're talking about within wellness so it's the art of wellness i would say the first three are more of the science of wellness this one's more of the art of wellness with some science but definitely more art forward and it's the 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 heart and the mindset behind why we do the things we do. It's born out of my clinical work with our telehealth patients, as all the books have been. But this is just born out of countless and countless conversations that I've had of really healing our relationship with ourselves, healing our relationship with food, and really dealing with this bi-directional relationship between mental health and physical health. And in the West, we'll oftentimes, as I say in the book, separate mental health from physical health. But it is, mental health is physical health. Our brain is a part of our body. So we're talking about both gut and feelings in the book 
physiological and psychological, physical and mental, emotional, spiritual facets, how things like chronic stress, shame, unresolved trauma, how do these things literally, how are they stored in the body physically? how they raise inflammation levels, dysregulate our nervous system. So it's a lot to unpack. And when you're talking about things like stress and trauma and shame, it is anything but prescriptive in the sense of there's a lot of complexities. There's a lot of, that's a lot to unpack, but I wanted to go there. Well, and when you say philosophical, my thought is, man, if you're talking about feelings, how can it not be philosophical? Cause it's, and I really wanted to go there with you first, Will. And, you know, we look at, we talk about the mental health crisis that we're in, but you're in the functional medicine world, which I'm uh, so privileged to be amongst a lot of practitioners as well. And we see the stats, you know, and we see the stats on every chronic illness and disease has been on the rise and kind of on a, on a hockey stick. But I think we as a culture, we really don't believe it, man. We just go out and we think, you know, it's just the norm. People are kind of overweight, you know, and kind of everybody has some kind of chronic illness and we've kind of accepted it at the norm, as the norm. But then you and your work know that, no, no, this is really this is really tragic right now. What's I talk about a pandemic. We've got one on health that's just continually on the rise. So when we come to mental health, when we come to the topic of feelings, I kind of want you to hit there and say, no, we really are at a mental health crisis. And what do you think has changed? Because I've heard somebody say, oh, it's just we're more aware of it now. I think, no, I think that it really is worse. Mm-hmm. Why? If you look at it and just go, look, I wrote a book on feelings because we are wrecked mentally. And give me your highlights as to why you think that this is on such a bad trajectory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. You can't look at the statistics and say it's it's normal. And I, I get that every time I do talk about the statistics on social media, I will hear some people say within the comments, well, it's better diagnostics, you know, that we're aware right. of it more. Right. That's part of it. I don't think anybody's going to say that's not a part of it, but nobody that knows the statistics that see seeing what we face as a society says that this is solely due to better diagnostics. Yeah. You know, it's growing and it's more rampant than ever. And it's just because something's common and ubiquitous doesn't necessarily make it normal. And us to normalize this is is hurting a lot of people uh it is not uh, it's not okay and these things are largely overcomable healable improvable supportable things so why would we want to settle for anything less when you're dealing with things like anxiety and depression and different neuroinflammatory problems is really what you're talking about a lot of these brain health issues are inflammatory in nature. So why is it common? Why why are we seeing such staggering rises of this? Why do we have such stark statistics like the average young person today has the same level of anxiety as mental as a psychiatric patient of the in the 1950s? That's where we're at right now. And that's not my statistic. That's in the scientific journals. That's in the medical journals that are looking at the levels of things like depression, anxiety. And you look at the suicide rate of teenagers and young adults. This is not because we hear about it more. It's happening more and more. And we really can't have the conversation about these issues without having a conversation of chronic inflammation. It's a dysregulation of our immune system. And that's a lot to unpack. We're a part of nature. I mean, there's dysregulation going on on a planetary level and we are intimately connected to the planet. And it really is what researchers refer to as an epigenetic genetic mismatch or an evolutionary mismatch that our majority of our genetics haven't changed in 10,000 plus years. But yet our world has changed so much in such a 
finite small period of time when you're putting that into context with the totality of human history. So it's multifactorial. It's not just one thing, but we have to look at the foods we're eating or the foods we're not eating, the soil microbiome, the soil of which our food is grown in, and the intimate connection that with that with our gut microbiome. And we have to look at our exposure to environmental toxins. We have yeah. to look at our relationship with technology. We've talked about community and our lack thereof. It's going to be a confluence of factors that are triggering these genetic predispositions that have been lying dormant for 10,000 years, but are being awoken and triggered like never before in human history because of this evolutionary mismatch is how they word it. So yeah, that's what we're facing with. And it's not just mental health issues. It's chronic inflammatory problems across the board. Uh, uh, the cytokine model of cognitive function, cytokines are pro-inflammatory cells. So when you're talking about things like anxiety, depression, brain fog, fatigue, ADHD, autism, neuro uh, autoimmune problems like MS, those things are growing and inflammation is the commonality between all those problems. But it's not just brain health issues. It's other autoimmune problems. It's metabolic issues. It's cancer. It's heart disease. All of these have inflammation at its heart. And we have to ask the question, why are we seeing these chronic inflammatory things rising? Well, it's those reasons I just mentioned. Well, and I want to dig in there. I do want to get a little bit further just on feelings and how you kind of where you bring us initially in the book. I mean, we, I'm more enamored with myself and as I study this stuff and have folks like your, uh, you know, Terry Real and, and folks on the show and look at I mean, we trust our feelings. Something happens in our lives. We trust our initial feeling. We think that that's reality. We form a perception about that. That becomes our belief. And here we go running around with all these different beliefs on the same thing and not understanding our feelings, thinking that they are real in essence. And what I feel you bringing us to in essence and going to kind of go to that gut, I, you know, my gut told me this, I, I trust my gut, our gut feelings is that we just can't trust those anymore because we're so, just as you talked about, we are so compromised and it's hard for me. Will I mean, I want to look at, I'm an athlete. I want to look at, okay, I'm eating clean. I'm doing my exercise. I'm getting my sleep. I'm good. And you pull those three out and say, yeah, we want to look at that. Wouldn't it be great if it was that simple? I don't want to go over here and consider meditation or consider my feelings or my emotions. I don't want to, as you talk about, slow down. Uh, I don't initially want to, I guess. I, I'm, I'm up here on these shallower appetites. And you, you're calling us, man, if you, want, if you want the full deal, you're going to have to go deeper. Am I tracking on the overall premise? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think, look, if something... If somebody is has a set of tools in their life that's working for them and they feel great, the labs look great, the quality of yeah. life looks great, their relationships look great, then they'll keep doing what you're doing. Not everybody has to go deeper. But when you look at the statistics that I talked about earlier of brain health issues, autoimmune problems, metabolic issues – a lot of people have to go deeper because these are not simple, quick fix issues. There, there's multiple layers to that. We have to. We're, we're, we're compelled to if we want to feel better. And the, as I mentioned earlier, these things are largely improvable by looking at these facets of the gut and the feelings, the physiological and the mental, emotional, spiritual. And uh, but we have to know what we're dealing with to do something about it. And many people don't want to go there. They don't want to look there. They there. And our culture is really bent towards that, right? It's it's numbing and distracting mainly. Yeah. It's 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 it, it is the su- superficial does 
is a lot sexier than the sublime in our culture. And I think that that's part of the problem is that people are just on autopilot and they do the same thing every day. They're busy, they're distracted, they're numbing themselves with the next dopamine hit. And they don't really want to look at why do I have this background anxiety? Why do I feel wired and tired, anxious and exhausted? Why do I have these digestive problems? What's my body telling me? And instead of going there and digging deep and asking, why are these check engine lights on in my life, whether it be anxiety or or depression or fatigue or digestive problem, whatever we're talking about, people want to ignore it and put it on the back burner until they're forced to face it, you know, right? It's like going to be through pain or proactive transformation. And many people, they put it off and put it off and put it off until their body literally does not give them the option to do anything yeah. else. Like, so it's just a matter of when we're going to listen. Give us Give me, and there's plenty of people listening who probably have heard the aspect of the gut-brain connection, and I know in your world, that's pretty, uh, you're well-versed, it's elementary, but it's just still not out in the culture. As I talk to people, we hear about it, but if you ask somebody to give one word to it, they couldn't. And you mentioned, I think in the in the book, I'm going to paraphrase probably badly, but that just that idea, it really just spoke to me again of when something happens, when you have... Uh, a little scare or something. You have that adrenaline rush, how you feel it in your gut. I mean, you don't mm -hmm. feel it down in your toes. You don't feel it on your left butt cheek. You don't, you feel it in your gut and mm -hmm. that should be kind of a, wow. Okay. Wait a minute. So when you say gut brain, it, this is a literal thing. It's not just some conceptual, yeah. Philosophical type thing. So give us the layman's term on that connection. Sure. So you're right. It, somehow our ancestors knew it's, it's within the our vernacular it's how we the language that we use even today we maybe don't oftentimes stop to think why we say these things right when we say i just have a gut instinct or i feel it in my gut or gut feeling or i butterflies in my stomach or uh it, it's what's going on there that somehow researchers that somehow our ancestors knew what researchers are now confirming the mechanisms of actions of these things the gut and brain are formed from the same fetal tissue so when babies are growing in the mother's womb, the gut and brain are formed from the same fetal tissue, and they are inextricably linked for the rest of our but, life but through what's that, known as that right there. That that's no, yeah. we don't know. I did not know that. I mean, I knew about the connection. I yeah. did not know that. I mean, that should be like a telltale sign for us all. Holy smokes! It's literally out of the same tissue. That's dramatic. I think it is. And if you think of, I mean, there's far-reaching implications. It's it's multifaceted. But if you think about it, even just on a elementary level, the gut, the, even when you think look at Think of what the intestines look like. They even resemble physically the brain. And 95% of serotonin are happy neurotransmitters made in the gut. 50% of dopamine is made in the gut. These things don't pass through the blood-brain barrier, but what they do, they they work on the second brain is what the researchers call the intestines, the gut. They work on GM motility. They work upon something called the vagus nerve, which is the largest cranial nerve in the body, which is connecting the gut and the brain. And there's yeah. what's called the gut-brain axis, which really has to do with the vagus nerve and the enteric nervous system. So the way that, that our gut and brain, this crosstalk, this bi-directional communication between yeah. the gut and the brain and the brain and the gut, it's vast. I mean, it, it's through the vagus nerve, certainly, but it's also through the microbiome itself. So the microbiome is separate than us, but it's depending on the study that you look at, it's upwards of 100 trillion bacteria in the gut. To put that into perspective, we have about, I think, around 30 trillion human cells around there, 10 to 30 uh, trillion human cells. We're exponentially more bacteria than human. 
bacterial cells outnumber human cells exponentially. We're sort of a sophisticated host for the microbiome, and that's influencing our neurotransmitters. It's influencing inflammation. It's where 75% of the immune system it originates. So inflammation is a product of the immune system. And of all these things that we're facing as a society is chronic inflammatory in nature, we have to look at where the predominance of the immune system resides, which is in the gastrointestinal system and it involves the microbiome. So we co-evolved with this microbiome and it really, microbiome research is at the heart of what a, a lot of researchers work in understanding in part, at least, why we are seeing these autoimmune problems, metabolic issues, and brain health problems. Certain levels of bacteria are associated with things like anxiety and depression, other neuro neurological problems. So it's just, I mean, go on and on and on. It has to do with the vagus nerve, has to do with the microbiome, has to do with the crosstalk between the gut and the brain. Okay. So Again, it feels layman's terms, but I, you know, if I look at my gut, what I put in my mouth or what I don't put in my mouth, whatever, you know, either way I can go wrong, but what if I put, what do I put in there? So if I'm putting in there, you know, beer and chips and processed foods and sugar and all the things that we'll talk about in a, in a second, put those in there. I am compromising my brain. These are not just, I, I, I get, feel like the American perspective, we still tend to look at food as fuel. We just think of it as this wood-burning stove. Just throw something in there, and if it'll burn, you're good, which you can get away with. Man, you know that. You can get away with that as a young athlete especially, man. Just eat anything, get the calories in, you can go perform until you can't. And we see that happen a lot too. But even if we look at the good foods, and this has been frustrating for me, you know, looking at the good brain food, looking at the good fats, and the, if I eat a healthy avocado, yet my stomach can't do anything with it, it's not helping my brain. So again, I'm looking at that dietarily. And yet over here, you're also saying in this gut feelings that my feelings, if I'm over here, and even if my gut could theoretically be okay, but I'm over here with high anxiety, fear, and all the negative thoughts, that's just as bad as pouring Cheetos or motor oil or whatever in there too. And it kind of can get you thinking chicken or the egg, can it? I kind of got a little bit not confused, but I don't, and maybe that's where you can't say necessarily, where would you go on that though? Feelings versus what we're actually putting in. Thankfully, the days of building a business website, then having this massive endeavor to integrate an online store are gone. Today, Shopify has fixed all that. I had one business where we actually built the entire website on Shopify's platform. So whether you're just starting out or you're selling a million bucks of product already, Shopify is just the industry leader. It works the same for physical products or online and digital, and Shopify is just hands down the best out there. Most importantly, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. It's 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Getting people to buy is not that hard, at least to the buying point, but getting them to actually give their payment info is, and Shopify is king in that department. They also have top tier customer service, which I think is critical. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Kevin. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Kevin to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Kevin. 
Friends, I'm pretty candid about my lack of financial prowess. Money and numbers are fairly Greek to me, so I need a lot of guidance. One of my closest friends is a wildly successful wealth manager, and I'm working on some financial literacy and just continually seeking guidance. So I ask you to check out yahoofinance.com. Nobody knows it all on Yahoo Finance is an incredible resource for the rookies like me or the seasoned investors. You know, before my dad passed away recently, Dave Ramsey and his wife, Sharon, flew down to visit. We all got to spend a day together. And I was at yahoofinance.com just now. I saw multiple news flashes from Dave and other people that you respect. And they're hitting so many of the hottest areas in finance today. So it's a place to get a snapshot of all aspects of your financial interests. And if you have them, your portfolios. I hadn't realized Yahoo Finance is the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. So for your comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. One more time. YahooFinance.com. Most of today, you will be indoors, likely your home or your office. I am as well. Even with my treks out into the woods, I spend a lot of time inside. And we're going to think about 20,000 breaths. According to the EPA, the indoor air is two to five times more polluted than the outdoor air, sometimes up to a hundred times more polluted. At my studio, we have heat being forced through old ducts. I walk on carpet full of years of junk. No idea what's floating in the air that I'm taking constant gulps of. The solution is an air purifier and Air Doctor is just the best. Air Doctor filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants and allergens such as pollen, pet dander, dust mites, mold, bacteria, viruses. They do it so your lungs don't have to. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Go to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code KEVIN, and depending on the model, you'll receive up to 39% off or up to 300 bucks off. Exclusive to podcast customers, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. So to get this special offer, go to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com Use promo code Kevin, airdoctorpro.com, promo code Kevin. I, it is, it's, it's such an individual conversation. I see people that have a lot of things going on with the gut side of gut feelings and their underlying gut problems, nutrient deficiencies, inflammation, chronic infections, environmental toxins. Those things are impacting their mood. Certainly for some, many, many, many people. Um, and for some people, it's predominantly the chronic stress they're dealing with, the lack of good quality sleep because of the stress, yeah. the unresolved trauma. They have high ACE scores, which are adverse childhood experiences or events. Those things are impacting their brain health and inflammation levels. So it's that's why it's both. For most of us, it's going to be a bit of both. It's going to be a confluence of factors, both gut and feelings. And that's why both need to be addressed. Uh, and I think that's why what people to explore. What are the researchers in the scientific journals looking at as being effective tools within your toolbox to deal with the, the clinical nutrition side and nourishing your body with nutrient density and bioavailable nutrient density specifically to give your body and brain the raw materials it needs to have optimal neurotransmitter health and gut brain access communication and nervous system support health. But 
as I say in the book, it's not just about what you're feeding your body. Like, what are you serving your head and your heart? And that's the more nebulous stuff. That's like the, how do I tell somebody don't pick up that big slice of stress of big slice of stress every day or the big, you know, cake of shame every day. That's That's raising your inflammation levels just as much as that food that doesn't love you back. You've, I want to hit something. I just got to want to forget. You mentioned sleep, you mentioned tools. And as we look at this, I am, I'm not a techie guy. I'm not a detail guy. And yet I am enamored with the wearable devices now where I can look kind of like advanced diagnostics. You know, you get the the regular blood panel from the doctor and they say, you know, Hey, you're not dying. Everything's good, but you feel like crap, go get the advanced diagnostics like you do in the functional medicine world. And you see, no, it's really going on under the hood. So on a day to day aspect though, having, you know, a wearable device, and I'll ask you if there's one that, you know, one or ones that you like, but having those that show, no, you got eight hours of sleep, but it was complete crap. You got zero deep sleep. You got crappy REM sleep. You were, had a lot of stress during that, uh, or your sleep was great, but your stress throughout the day was high. I, I actually don't like it. A lot of times I don't want to know the truth, but it's also, it's the only way I can figure out, oh my gosh, I'm, when I'm in this environment, I'm, I'm my stress level is higher. I didn't even know. And and now to dig in and, and unpack that. And for candor, I, I'm just wearing a Garmin devi- uh, device because I'm tracking my runs and my rides. And it just so happens that as you get the later ones, they got all this other data too. It may not be perfect, but at least shows me the patterns. Mm-hmm. What what? Do, well, first, give me your thoughts on yeah the wearable devices on showing us what's going on on a daily basis in these categories. Mm-hmm. And if there is any you recommend, um, be great. Yeah. So I think they can be great tools. Like you said, they're they're data points, they're a check-in. And I with time, these things are going to get better and better. Uh, I think the the art part, the context of it matters as to why somebody uses these things. I think that let me just say this for patients where they're a good candidate for it, we use that data to track patient protocols, effectiveness. Like in, in addition to labs, we want to look at the day-to-day. Yeah real-time data of what that looks like from a sleep tracking device, heart rate variability device, and blood sugar glucose when it's needed. Look, more data isn't always better. And sometimes it can add stress and anxiety around people yeah, around these things. I, I, I've done that, Will. Uh, yeah, I get yeah. that. Okay. Yeah. And it's like, that's antithetical, right? You don't want to stress about not sleeping because then you not, you're not sleeping as well, or yeah. it's impacting your physiology because you're stressing about the data. So, I think for a time, for people who need it, it can be a great end of one experiment to check in with your own bio individuality and say, how do things like food and stress and sleep and physical activity, how how do these things impact my biochemistry? I, I love data. and But sometimes it's nice to have someone outside of yourself to tell you what's important so you don't have to disciple all this yourself. Yeah, and, and you can drop it when you need to drop it and keep it simple and be human. So, um, but for a time, I think these things can be helpful. I love levels. I love what Dr. Casey Means is doing with levels. Uh, I, and NutriSense is another, those are two types of CGMs, continuous glucose monitors that you just wear. These are for non-diabetics, right? That you wear for a few weeks. The diabetics, many of them have to wear it just from a management long term. This is from a lifestyle, just wellness optimization standpoint. You're wearing it for three to four weeks typically and then dropping it. But you learn a lot about yourself, how to stress, how to sleep, how to how to foods. 
and physical activity impact my blood sugar, which we have a massive epidemic of metabolic issues in the country. And it'll impact energy levels and cravings and sleep and weight loss resistance and and all the the things. Um, But uh, I I love um, the Aura Ring. I've Mm -hmm. I've worn that before. It's interesting that I've done a lot of uh, tracking for patients and I see between the like Whoop Band and the Aura Ring and these other metrics, I have patients that are real freaks and they want to wear multiple ones at the same time and they get the same data across all the data points. So they're pretty similar. Uh, what I, my experience, I've seen them be similar. So you don't need all of them. You just kind of need to pick one that you like and, and stick with it for a time. Okay. And I have, that's what I hear, the aura ring and the whoop specifically on really track and sleep and recovery and whatnot at a better accuracy point than like a Garmin. Again, I'm using it to track my runs and rides, but I appreciate again, seeing the continual data. Well, so inflammation, um, again, I think we hear about it consistently. If anybody's pursuing health and wellness, you hear that, but it feels like that we, as a culture, we still don't get how rampant it is and how it's eating away at us. Maybe hit again, the the kind of the highlight inflammation points, but then you go into a word that I assume you coined shame flammation. I've never heard that. And I want you to hit on that too, because I think a lot of people, and I'm going to pick on guys because I'm a guy and I can do that, that we don't, I don't know a lot of guys that resonate with the word shame, shame. It's just not, it's not really on the radar. And yet as you unpack it, I think it's obviously dramatically on the radar. So inflammation and shame inflammation, give us the highlight causations. Mm -hmm. Sure. So inflammation is not inherently bad. It's a product of the immune system. We need it to fight off viruses, to kill off bacteria, to heal wounds. It is a, necessary part of human survival and existence. The problem is when we're talking about inflammation being the commonality between all these health problems, whether it's mental health issues, metabolic issues, autoimmune problems, anything you could think of has almost everything you think about has an inflammatory component or is considered an overtly chronic inflammatory health problem. It's chronic inflammation that's the problem. It's that, that forest fire that's burning in perpetuity. That's that it's a disruption of the Goldilocks principle in the human body. It's not too high, not too low, but just right. We need inflammation at high at the right time, but we don't want it high for too long. Uh, and, and that's the case for many people well, well, in can the I, West when you're dealing. Can I yeah. point out a, an analogy that you put in the book, uh, just so that we look at, you said inflammation. I think you said something like if I get, you know, if you just knuckle punch me, like we used to do as kids, you know, in the arm, <laughs> um, it's going to, it's going to swell. It's, and that's what you're saying. It's supposed to do that. But now yeah. if I keep getting knuckle punched every day and it stays swollen yeah. every day, that's going to manifest. And it reminds me of, uh, the book, why zebras don't get ulcers. Uh, mm-hmm. And that I love that concept that, man, they're there eating their grass, you know, calm, cool and collected. The lion comes along and they go from zero to, you know, full tilt immediately. They get away 30 seconds later, 20 seconds later, whatever line, you know, goes off and then they come back and they calm down. They don't go mm-hmm. on and talk about it at lunch and then go talk about it at dinner <laughs> and relive it the next day as PTSD and stuff. Cause I, I, so is that an analogy of with inflammation yeah. and anxiety, both that our body is doing what it's doing, but we just keep it at a place where it's doing it constantly and that's killing us. Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah. Well, that's exactly that's the what researchers researchers call that, that epigenetic genetic mismatch. It's we are we need the sympathetic nervous system response. We need that fight or flight or flee response when we need it, just like we need inflammation. So this neuroimmunoendocrine, it's really a, a confluence of the nervous system, the immune system, the endocrine. And how there's dysregulation of all three of those systems and the interaction between them, that's the problem. As we are seeing so much dysregulation of all three systems because we're living in this brave new world that we haven't adapted to. So that's why we're seeing these mental health issues, metabolic issues, and autoimmune problems. So inflammation is the immune system part of that dysregulation, which will impact all the different other systems of the body. Um, and the body's trying to calm it. The body right. typically responds to that stressed response by releasing something called cortisol which is an endogenous immunosuppressant so it's a natural anti-inflammatory the body's trying to create homeostasis it's trying to rectify that lack of goldie the goldilocks principle um, but it's just an unsustainable uh, situation that many people find themselves in because the body can only take so much stress where it's just this cumulative chronic stress response that something's got to give and it uh, triggers these genetic predispositions it triggers dysfunction chronically in the body which can manifest in different ways for different people you know there's over a hundred different autoimmune problems then on top of that the non-autoimmune inflammatory problems that we face as a society today but we have to ask the question okay I, the word i used was commonality inflammation is the commonality between but something's dysregulating the system right and that we have to look at the gut and the feelings the physiological and the psychological and that's where things really get interesting as far as what's going in my like what's the analogy that i use for patients is like the bucket analogies the buckets our body's own individual bio individual capacity to handle stressors and it's going to be the physiological and the psychological things that fill up that bucket we all have different bucket sizes some people have big buckets some people have smaller buckets. Many of our patients tend to have the smaller buckets where they can't get away with the things their family members can, can get away yeah. with. They have different methylation gene variants, HLA gene variants that makes their body a little bit more hypervigilant, a little bit more sensitive to things. You can't change your bucket size, but you can change what you put in it. And the foods, stress, environmental toxins, and shame and stress and trauma will fill up that bucket. And when we when you hit that tipping point, that's when symptoms ensue. That's when diagnoses happen in the conventional world. That feels, continues to feel so important because we do want to, as you talk about, we want, we want the math to work. One plus one equals two. So if you do that, well, my sister does that and it doesn't bother her at all. She's fine with the potatoes, but they just wreck me. And you're saying, well, yeah, different buckets. So again, back to what you said, you said uh, tipping point. So the body can only take so much. So when we all reach that, so if you have 10 people, let's say 10 women, 40 years old on stage, and they all are at that tipping point, what you're saying is it's likely, or it's possible, maybe improbable, that that tipping point is going to, it could manifest different in every single one of them. But you're saying the cause, the problem's the same. We're talking about inflammation, it's just going to manifest differently. Yeah. And then what's causing the inflammation it may be different right, for people. Okay. There's some low hanging fruits for everybody. I mean, I think looking at the foods that people eat, there's a lot of foods that are common amongst the modern Westerner that, that don't just doesn't love the human body back for the most part to varying degrees. But yeah, it, it's there's all those chronic health problems ultimately are if there is an inflammatory component, we have to ask the question, what's causing the chronic inflammation in the first place? Well, it's interesting 
just to jump to the foods, cause you pull out three categories and I, I think it, well, we pull out, you pull out sugar, of course, uh, you pull out sugar, you pull out alcohol and you pull out processed foods and where just to hit it because you know, it's such a fad, not a fad, but a focal point right now are things like gluten or nightshades or the top allergen, you know, culprits there. Where do you put those? Where do you put those in amongst those three that those initial three that you pulled out? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, gluten specifically, which is the protein that's found in wheat, rye, barley, spelt, um, that's implicated in two different things. I mean, gluten is a protein. So it, it is in a lot of packaged foods are wheat right. based and refined grain based. And obviously from a carb standpoint, the sort of refined carbohydrate side of things, which is independent of the gluten itself yeah. is also part, it breaks down into sugar. So it is part of that sugar, okay. okay. carb and uh, processed food com com um, conversation. But gluten is a third separate conversation itself because what we've done to it, right? We've hybridized it. We've sprayed the the yeah. crop with lots of things. We we're eating a completely different grain than our ancestors ate, and then we're over consuming it. Uh, so it's it served well from a fa uh, like a um, famine sort of thing because it stored well. So throughout human history, grains stored well during times where food, there was food scarcity. So we're feasting on a famine food. So that's part of that epigenetic genetic mismatch. And then what we've done to it. So there's almost always a better for you version of when you having these conversations about certain quote unquote whole foods that are grains, like there are better for you versions of grains that make them more digestible, less immunoreactive, less inflammatory, like sourdough wheat bread would be a good you know this, the fermentation breaks down some of the gluten proteins making it more digestible less irritating to the human gastrointestinal system and the microbiome and you know nightshades it's those plant defense compounds that some people do have reactions to i've talked about them in previous books in the inflammation spectrum my second book actually where some people do have reactions to those foods but is it the fact that it's stressing an already stressed out system i think that's the case for most people it's they're over consuming a high alkaloid high lectin food these plant compounds that in normal levels to a healthy human being it's not going to be, be reactive but when you're dealing with all these other issues it's like higher on the spectrum scale of things that are going to stress an already stressed out system. Right. But that's bioindividuality. It's part of my job. And it's not, it's trying not to make over generalized statements and say, well, that's bad for everybody. Cause I'd be proven wrong all day long. If I said that, like there are people that handle gluten just fine. There's people right. that handle nitrates just fine. There's people that handle certain amounts of processed sugar just fine. Um, but some people have very little, little wiggle room and we have to figure it. We have to show them what's irritating their system so they can feel better. I appreciate you saying that, you know, feasting on famine food. Uh, I'll never forget the first time I was told the, the horrors of wheat, that was the, I literally, that was my thought. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Man, that's biblical bread. Come on. And yet it was a different kind of bread one, but two, yeah, it was also, it would have been better if they had had access to fresh fruits, vegetables, even meats. And so I didn't learn that till a long time later. Okay. So let's go to the, you know, this aspect essence of feelings and why amongst those you really pulled out and expounded on shame. 
That's not something you expect to hear when you're looking at health and wellness. Even if I look at the front cover of your book, I'm not expecting to go in there and talk about <laughs> shame. And and I do think, yeah, it's a term that I don't think anybody likes. It's not a sexy term. And I maybe it's just me, but it feels like, yeah, from a guy's standpoint, it's not one that I really have have had on the radar until I got into therapy. Uh, and then I did. So, but go into that, go into, <laughs> tell us about shame. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And you know, it's funny that, that the cover of the book, the pairs on the cover of gut feelings are technically hugging. So I was trying to denote some sort of like, you know, empath, if you still t- using food, but <laughs> using food in a more of a emotional feeling way. Yeah, uh, but the, uh, you're right. It, it's, but it's a it's something that fills up that bucket. It's something that fill, fills up the bucket for many people, and we have to ask, well, what causes the shame? And maybe, maybe many people don't recognize and can pinpoint, oh, this is what I'm feeling. I am feeling shame. But when you look at unresolved trauma, which no matter who you are, I mean, it doesn't matter what who you are. Many people have trauma from their past that's impacting their body today, and that is. Uh, there's a lot of shame around unresolved trauma. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to go there. It's it's makes them uncomfortable, makes them defensive. They shut down. They change the subject. They don't want to go there and face it. That's shame. They may not even recognize it, but it's shame. And chronic stress, I find that to be a little bit more insidious that there's shame there too. Low grade shame, high grade shame, different to varying degrees, but they're maybe they're kind of snapping at their partner because they're stressed out. There's shame about that. Oh man, I shouldn't have done that. I, I'm stressed out. Sorry. Or they aren't present with their loved ones or looking at their phone to distract and numb and like kind of deal with their stress that way. Or they are just checking out emotionally or they are eating foods that don't love them back because they're stress eating. There's a lot of shame around that too. No matter who, you are. I just think guys aren't as good. And I'm just stereotyping because yeah, yeah. I am one too. We're not as good at recognizing and pinpointing it. And we're not as good at communicating and uh, explaining that's where, how we're feeling. So, uh, so that's, it's no matter who you are, shame can play a role. I quote Brene, Brene Brown in the book. Of yeah. shame, she says shame is lethal and the impact it has on our physical health, but also our relational health and with life, our relationship with life itself. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. 
They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I, it felt like, I mean, we we're really familiar with the terms of guilt and even regret, which on regret, I'm a fan of, we had Dan Pink on the show and his latest book is The Power of Regret, um, that I think is a great look at harnessing understanding and harnessing regret. But we look at, yeah, guilt and regret, but shame based on that. Yeah. And it, I'll tell you, well, and for context, it took me understanding that I, I go out to perform. I go out to perform. I want to have no limits. I want to fix everything for everybody. I, I want to make sure everybody's, you know, okay and be Superman in essence. If I can't do that, or that's really how I battle against shame. If I can't do that, if I can't be up to the task, I do. And we can go back and look at why. And I don't have great acute issues. I didn't have parents that told me I'd add up to nothing. I have the opposite. You know, I'm very privileged, but I embrace that. And it took me a while to realize I'm running from shame. So it feels like that's the first place we got to go is the audit that you're saying we all have trauma, big T, little T. From that, we generally have some level of shame and for us to figure out where it's coming from, why, so that we can then recognize it. Otherwise, it's going to be this constant, well, in this case, inflammation uh, trigger. Yes? Yeah, absolutely. So it's influencing your biochemistry just as much as a food. And people have realized that, that our, our body is a cellular library and the our thoughts, our words, our emotions, our experiences are the books that fill up that library. So I talk about the research of how things like stress and shame will actually impact inflammation levels, will in, impact our nervous system and our hormones negatively. Uh, again, just as much as that meal. So we have to look at what are we feeding our head and our heart? How are these things impacting my health? I see people kept back all the time. They've cleaned up their food. They're eating super clean foods that love them back in theory, but they're still struggling with health problems. And they're really not dealing with these, the feeling side to really move past that plateau. And, um, you know, many people, when you're talking about shame and what's causing the shame, people will gaslight themselves oftentimes and say, well, it's not that bad. Like, it's like I had, wasn't as bad as my so-and-so in my life. And then therefore they'll just say, it's not that bad. What we know now is that it's not about the experience as much as that, what, how did your body or on on a by individual basis how did you receive that i hear a lot of siblings out siblings as patients they have completely different yeah memories of what happened the same thing happened they just all remembered it and received it and it's impacting them in different ways we all have different resilience capacities we all have different bucket sizes back to that analogy and what how does that impact their biochemistry it's going to be different for different people but we know when you like we have every telehealth patient fill out what's called an a score which is adverse childhood experiences the higher your a score you're more likely it's a component it's an ingredient to the higher your A score being more likely to have different autoimmune issues later in life, different uh, metabolic issues later in life, trouble losing weight, things like anxiety as well. Uh, it's major. And it doesn't have to be, quote unquote, much when you're comparing yourself to sort of genocides and holocausts and massive things. But it's what are these things? How did they impact your health? Which, uh, yeah, it has to be looked at to deal with it. It's interesting on the ACE scores, we've had people who didn't want to take them. They didn't want to know, especially if they were fearful that they had some bad stuff back there. And yet 
And we got into it in looking at when uh, the telomere, telomere reports were first kind of gaining popularity and saw that. And we were really, we didn't understand because it looks like somebody should just have a killer ACE card. I mean, I, you know, I had a couple people, I don't know anybody who has and does live seemingly healthier than they do. And that their, their telomere scores were, were pretty terrible. And we talked with one of the docs involved with one of the, I can't remember which test it was. And he went to the ACE scores being so significant, which is frustrating because you can't go back and fix your ACE score. But then on the other hand, knowing it gives us the opportunity to take affirmative action. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. It's, you're absolutely right. You can't change. I mean, most of the things that we're talking about when you're talking about childhood trauma, you're not, can't change it. And we didn't ask for it, but it's, what can you do now yeah. to to support your health? And the body is amazingly resilient. And then, I mean, that's just going through the trauma that we go through in this life. And then I talk about in the book of intergenerational or transgenerational trauma, which is even trippier. And we definitely can't do anything to, to have changed that, but we can change what we can do today. We can break that cycle with ourselves and in part change our family, change the people around us and change generations we'll never get to see. So I got a question or, or something to ponder with you. My 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 your book's sitting on over my right shoulder. My that's my book. It it comes out in a couple of weeks, and Amazing. it's called What Drives You. And it's on you know really looking at drive and looking at motive. And so I look at this, and I'm I'm wondering you know how do we sell this to ourselves and to other people? I mean, you say one of the things in the book. I pulled it out. We, we need to be slowing down, getting still, and reconnecting with self. Okay, that's hard to sell. Nobody inherently just wants to do that. You know, it's like selling fasting. No, I, I don't know anybody who wants to fast or do burpees, myself included, even though they're, they're great, right? So he, here's, what, here's what gets me as I'm talking with you, because it feels like a, an overlap issue of do we really want to feel better? Or, or, or do we want to inherently, or do we want to just do the things externally that feel good? So I, had, uh, I just had Arthur Brooks on the show uh, last week. And he talked about our propensity as humans to pick achievement over being happiness. And, you know, Olympic athletes who would say, look, man, I'll only live five years if I can just get the, get the gold medal. You can just, you know, put a cap on my life that we want achievement. I had Vienna Farron on and she said, as, as kids, we attend, we tend to want to attach and we'll take attachment with our parents and with everybody over being authentic. So and now here you are and you're calling us to, to, do we really want to feel better? And I feel like that's, I mean, for all of us, for me, for, for you, for the people listening, who, if, you're, if you're not feeling well, do you really want to feel better? That we got to get to the core of, of the motive because we can feel good right now, kind of feel good with some Cheetos and a device in our hands and whatever you're scrolling or playing or some entertainment or whatever, we can feel kind of that shallow feel good and try to mask it. But do we really want to? And it feels like a valid question that, I mean, I know that you deal with that with patients. I mean, at the end of the day, what is that? Do you find yourself grasping for what is their, what is their motive? Cause just say, I just want to feel better. It's mm-hmm. so nebulous of saying, yeah. no, I've got to find an attachment to that core motive. Yeah, I think definitely there people have different motives and people will have different whys, like why are they doing the things they're doing? And for some people, maybe it is more achievement based and attention and 
know, whatever. I, I, my job as a functional medicine practitioner is to get to their why. Whatever motivates them, I'm fine. If I can get their health moving in the positive direction, whatever propels them to want to level up their health on a physical level, on a mental, emotional, spiritual level, I'll take it. Because what happens is their why will oftentimes shift when you're dealing with chronic health problems specifically, their why will shift over time as their health evolves. So what motivated them in the beginning, there's going to be different levels and different uh, realizations over time where it becomes a new thing. It becomes a deeper, richer, more expansive thing that they don't always get at the beginning. You can't always expect them to realize like, what's when you feel great and you feel the best version of yourself. What's going to motivate you then? <laughs> because when you're up against autoimmune flare-up, digestive problems, chronic fatigue syndrome, chronic Lyme disease, mold toxicity, hormonal problems, the things we I face with my telehealth patients, they're just like, I need, I want to not be in pain. I want to not just push, struggle just to get through the day. I don't want to feel irritable and uncomfortable in my own skin. That's what's motivating them at the beginning. That's something bigger and more beautiful as, as their healing journey goes on. Well, and so you're talking about those who find their motive, then obviously I'm sure you see, uh, you know, hopefully not many, but patients were on the other side, they, they ultimately just don't follow through. They spent time, they spent money and they don't. And my assumption there is that they lost contact or never really solidified. What is the motive? Why are they doing this? Kind of that question of you, I want to feel better. Well, why? Well, I don't want my knees to ache. Well, why? I want to be able to get down on the floor mm-hmm. and play with my grandkids. Okay. That's now we're getting there, but if yeah. we don't, yeah. okay. Yeah. You, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's why the feeling stuff's so important yeah. because when you start to create a space around why you're doing the things you're doing, you can have enough mindful awareness to make a decision with a motive. You're like, your why will be bigger than your ex- excuses, which we all need some from time to time. You're a term that I, I like, and I'm going to be talking to my kids about this is you pick on FOMO fear of missing out and you come up with Jomo joy of missing out. And it is something that I, we had, I think it was last year we had a week. So I live up in the mountains, my house, we have no cell service and we have, oh, so we get everything through the internet that I have the screws. Oh, I did have a screw system. Now I'm grateful for Elon Musk and I've got Skylink. But uh, before that, <laughs> we, we were out of internet for a, a week. So that means no cell service, no, so nothing, no texting, no whatever. And it was interesting to see that fear of missing out on the devices and whatever went away. And all of a sudden, everybody's in the kitchen, they're telling stories, they're laughing, they're playing games, and that was a joy. We saw a joy. And the kids, they they understood that. Now, it's hard to do that. You know, I was one too, and I thought about, I'm going to go to a flip phone. Oh my gosh, it, the things that I have to opt out of now, like my kid's soccer schedule, and everything's on an app, you know? So you can do that, but it's hard. There's a hard cost to it. But that joy of missing out feels somewhat like a, a switch that has to flip. I, Will, I had to do it even on, even on rides. I Man, I go out, I was a pro cyclist. I got now I mountain bike and, and I'm kind of thinking about my time. I love pushing it. I love going fast, but when do I stop? It was a buddy who finally motivated me to, can we just stop and look at this view? We're at a high mountain lake. Can we just enjoy it for a second? Mm-hmm. And I had to kind of let go of that mm-hmm. missing out on my Strava score or, you know, time or, or whatever that we're looking for in that, in that joy, joy of missing out. It feels that you're calling us to 
something deeper. Fair? Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a, it's a way to support the parasympathetic. I mean, we have the autonomic nervous system, both the sympathetic and the parasympathetic are needed. The most, the problem is on a physiological level, most people are hyperactive in the sympathetic, that fight or flight, freeze, stressed, inflamed state. And they're kind of weak when it comes to the parasympathetic aspect of the autonomic nervous system. So when people use the phrase a dysregulated nervous system, that's simply put what they're referring to is a hypervigilant sympathetic response, a hypovigilant, a hypoactive uh, parasympathetic response, which has to do mechanistically with the vagus nerve. They have poor vagal tone. So on the feeling side of gut feelings, a lot of what I'm talking about there is how do we improve our vagal tone, which isn't going to be feeding it more sympathetic activity. We have to slow down, like disconnect to connect with ourselves and our loved ones to be more present. Like what's going to anchor you and root you in the present moment, which our FOMO culture with social media kind of compels us to reflexively constantly be getting that dopamine hit and uh, having that anxiety to go back and check the phone. Even we, we may not even realize we're doing it. We just, it's like a nervous tick. We'll just go back and check our Instagram feed and it's designed that you don't have to shame yourself about it, but just grow in awareness to how can, how are we spending our time? What do we do when we're bored? What do we do when we're anxious? What do we do with our downtime? Uh, because it's the art of being human that we've kind of lost in many ways. So I teach practical tips within the book of how do you cultivate that joy of misses, missing out, this antithesis of FOMO culture, um, to find just sacredness in the mundane, find stillness in, in our life, because so many of us are yearning for that. And they, we think about what's happened, what happened over the last couple of years with the pandemic. You'd hear that every everybody, so many people said the same thing. Well, the silver lining is, you know, I just like, we got to slow down. We're just like inside and we just like played board games and we hang out with our family. We already are losing that yeah. again. Yeah. And I just hope that we don't, it doesn't take a pandemic for us to realize what really matters. That is, uh, I did a show recently with someone on Friends, with Laura Tremaine on Friends, and she talked about putting friends on her to-do list, which sounded kind of bad. But she said, I, you know, we're, we're busy. And so if I'm not intentional and don't schedule it in, it, it doesn't happen. It feels like that's what works best for me in dealing with this, Will, that I've got to take times. So I've got a big family. I've, got, I've always got a reason to have something present. But I just did. I went on a three-day getaway and said, look, unless it's an emergency, I'm not going to pay attention to my phone. So I had to I had to intentionally kind of block it out. And I find that even with days, there's times when we'll turn the internet off or, you know, all the phones go in the docking station or we've mm-hmm. played with, we don't do it enough of just let's turn electricity off, uh, which is harder to do. But that we've got to create those intentionalities. I don't find us, the moderation seems almost impossible to be able to moderate, to, to not pay attention to the device. If it's here, if it's turned off, if it's not in Wi-Fi mode or whatever, it's just almost impossible that we've got to, well, I feel like you're coming at it with compassion. Say, so don't feel bad for that. That's how we all mm-hmm. are. And, and trillions of dollars go into keeping mm-hmm. our attention. And so don't feel bad about that. But then what are you going to do to yeah. back off of it? How do you create healthy boundaries around these things, yes, right? Boundaries. And it's it's not going to be perfect. Every day could be a bit different. 
I don't want people to end up being legalistic about it and like, you know, skirting the system. I mean, just check why you're doing what you're doing. You're doing it for self-care, for your nervous system, for your health, for your relationships, the health of them as well. So, I mean, for example, like we'll do the things that you just mentioned in our house. I have a 16 and 13 year old. So like, you know, it's like the age where they want to be hyper-connected, but it's what's the culture we're setting in our home of not a list of not being authoritarian and a zealot about these sort of things, but how can we grow in mindful awareness about how we do these things? So, I mean, for us, what works for us is just, we have like the downtime sets on the phone where it will be a reminder. We could go, I mean, my kids can't do it, but we could go around and like bypass the code to get back in. But if we're setting the boundaries, it's for ourselves. Like, why are we doing what we're doing? And I don't want to cheat myself. I want to really stick to it. And we can be more present with the people that we love. We can read a book, an actual book, or get outside in nature and uh, start to do things that are really helpful for calming our nervous system. I did want to, I didn't want to miss the opportunity to hit on some specifics on food. Uh, big part of your book is, I mean, you've got pictures of there and you go through diff, you know, specific types of menu items and recipes and, and whatnot. And looking at that, I, I find the effort to, trying to combat the feeling of, okay, so to be healthy, you know, I'm going to go, I'm going to go see Dr. Will and he's going to make me throw out everything in my pantry, everything I like, everything that tastes good. And I'm going to eat all this bland stuff. And in my own experience and with other people, I find that when you are used to, let's go to the processed foods, go to the high sugar, high salt stuff and that I want people to hear is you really develop a taste to where now, I mean, I can't imagine, I, I know one of my kids wanted to try cause they hadn't had it boxed Mac and cheese. Hey, are you kidding? It's, it's terrible. I mean, it really, I don't want to diss somebody's favorite food, but I mean, when you get outside of that, if you ever had, you know, even like homemade mac and cheese or whatever, or, or maybe something that's not just gluten and dairy, you really can develop a taste to where you enjoy that uh, richer taste of a high quality, clean food than that. The, the, but just you speaking to the reality that we have trained our taste buds to think that we actually like McDonald's and the processed foods and the convenient foods. And I find that if you can really come over, I find people, their, their appetite literally changes. So it's not, oh, yeah. it's not a lifetime of abstinence from things that taste good mm-hmm. is a point. No, no, it doesn't have to be either or like I, yeah. I love a food or I, I have to pick health or I love a food. You really can have the best of both worlds. And that's such a misconception. And people think they have to eat like a rabbit or it's super boring they're just not doing it right if they're doing it that way. Because I love everything that I'm eating. It's It really is the two-part thing. It's curiosity. It's creativity. It's learning new things. And you, we're not that good at that sometimes. So if you're in the trenches of like, this is what I eat. This is what I like. And you're telling yourself all the excuses as to why. I Going back to why the why, right? If you're feeling great, normally people that are having these conversations around food – they aren't feeling really great. So you have to ask the question, okay, how do I want to feel? And if it's achievements that motivate you, like you will be a better achiever when you don't have brain fog and fatigue and digestive problems and you're less irritable. Or maybe it is your family members. You want to be there, live a long life or enjoy the things you have planned. Like whatever your why is right now, like that's, you have to figure out what's keeping you back from the why. And 
there's no way around it. Every food you eat is either feeding feeding inflammation or fighting it. There's no like Switzerland meal. There's no neutral food that's doing nothing for your biochemistry. It's influencing in some way, some in negligible ways, but some in really significant ways that with enough time and consistency, you can start to really feel good and feel feed your body the raw materials it needs to make a healthy brain, to health, to fuel your body from an energy standpoint and to lower inflammation. So yeah, it's uh it's there, just look at the recipes in the book. You can see you can I, eat. Good I, food. I I did. I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try some, and it, it does. It it continues. I think I want to. I want to shout from the rooftops. You know that yeah, food is not fuel, and it's so profound to think of what I put in my mouth is literally the building blocks that I am going to be able yeah. to be creative tomorrow and write a book. Or, or not. And I think that when I, and I can do busy work, I can, you know, deal with emails and admin stuff and, and whatever, and kind of check things off the list at a compromised state to a degree. I cannot be creative. I cannot really create, or I think critical thinking and, and even just hope and inspiration. I mean, those are the, those are the key areas that I see decline if I allow myself to get in a compromised state. Yeah. Oh yeah. You're shutting your, you're shutting so much of that off. That's a really an astute point that many people don't have these talents that they would have. They don't have these skill sets. They don't have these centers to tap into when they're feeling miserable. When you feel yeah. miserable, you, it takes a lot just to get up some days. I, I'm curious as we look at with you, okay. With the next patient, with the next 10 patients that, are, that you're going to deal with. I mean, we've got food. Okay. We've got nutrition. We've got exercise and, and movement. We've got sleep and recovery. And of course, now you're talking about, and this is, these are the, you know, in essence, the, the paraphrase four pillars of functional medicine. Then we've got, you know, body and mind. We've got the, I, I kind of want to say for the sake of this talk right here, emotions, we're talking about feelings. When you look at that, of course, I'd love to, I'd love to try to get people like you to tell me what's the pillar, what's most important. And of course you're going to say it depends, but just sequentially sometimes with your current patient load, with the people you're talking with, do you find that sequentially you're seeing more issues statistically on the emotional aspect of their health than just the, I'm going to, I want to say easier ones of food, exercise, sleep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I have to say that further, the more complex cases that I see, I see what a deeply entrenched role that the feelings plays in many different aspects. Now, they may not see it at first. And I think that's the difference is that sometimes they're in is the prescriptive food protocol. It is the supplements that I'm giving them because they don't see they don't have the bandwidth. They don't have the resilience. They don't have like the nervous system regulation enough the introspection enough right. to go and deal with unresolved trauma and chronic stress. They just, no, give me the X, Y, and Z. Tell me what to have for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Tell me what supplements to take. And and that's all, that's their end. But then when they feel, when there's less inflammation because they're eating foods that love them back, when they start taking supplements to deal with nutrient deficiencies and supporting detox pathways, whatever the case it may be, I see that they'll have the resilience, like their heads of, above that proverbial water and have to say, okay, now I can deal with that past trauma. I can deal with this unhealthy boundaries I have with whatever and start dealing with the feeling stuff of somatic practices and EMDR and, and, you know, whatever we're talking about that needs to happen. Um, But 
I would say that the feeling side of the gut feelings paradigm or perspective, the bi-directional relationship, that will impact their biochemistry so much in so many different ways. And I will say it's oftentimes the feeling side that will play a major role in the food choices they make and yeah. the sustainability of the food protocols that they that that they are on and it will determine the outcome of that food protocol meaning that if they're stressing and have anxiety about that healthy food that stress and anxiety around a healthy food like that's not good for their health either so if i in a perfect world i would want people to deal with both but the feeling side i have to say it influences all the physical stuff in so many ways and the choices we make and our relationship with so many things I think I told this story on the show before. Maybe, maybe uh, people haven't heard it. You'll appreciate this. I'll never forget my buddy who I told, talked about, Dr. Randy James. He co-hosts on in here with me a lot, so people know him. And it was a story of a patient, and she was coming in, and they were changing this and changing that. And finally, he said, you know what? I just don't have anything for you that will compensate uh, for the problems with your adult child living in your home. And until you get them out, I don't think that there's hope. All this stuff is, is, to use the phrase, pissing in the wind. And it feels like that typifies what you're saying there. When we look at that main thing that's stressing it, that we're not going to we're not going to hurt by eating clean or exercising or sleeping. But if we mm-hmm. have an acute emotional issue going on here, it's pretty much going to, I guess you'd say, sabotage most of our efforts. Absolutely. And I, you think of I, Eckhart Tolle, the author. I, yeah. I, I, I refer to some of his work in the book is in in any given situation like that you have to change leave or accept the situation and i see that all the time where it's that relationship that's this constant source of stress like what do you have to do she's maybe not in acceptance of the situation uh or she needs to realize she needs to change or leave it because it's really impacting their health i see patients that i'm not saying this is like super common i want to like make it seem like i'm making people get divorces left and right but i see people that have to get to the point in their healing journey where they're like, you know what? I realize that, yeah, I'm a lot better than I once was, but I'm stuck at this plateau in part because of this unhealthy relationship. Yeah. That's I'm constantly on eggshells and constantly in a fight or flight state every day of my life. Now they can go, go and try to change it too and go to therapy. But oftentimes I see relationships have to evolve and change and, and end sometimes because they get to the point in their healing journey, a journey that's, it's just out of alignment with them being healthy. Um, and that applies to kids too, so healthy boundaries with family members. Let me ask you then for some resources, if I could, Will. Um, as people listen to this, not everybody's going to be able to go have you as their functional medicine doc or Terry Real as their counselor. And so if I could hit some, if there's some high point resources and let me go through it. If you don't have a specific or you don't want to mention one, totally fair. We'll, we'll edit it out. Uh, but uh, let me start with a couple on it, an advanced diagnostic standpoint. So if somebody's out there and they're hearing that, yeah, you know, normal blood work is kind of, is it doesn't get very far. They'd like to have something advanced. Is there one that, you know, of course we're talking to a broad audience and more than nationally, but at least that anything that you recommend for people on an advanced diagnostics, which folks I'm talking about, well, you know, blood for the most part, blood work of really going under the hood Mm -hmm. and looking to see what's happening, which is a hallmark of functional medicine to start with. Yeah. Well, yeah, no editing needed. I can, we can, I I love talking about this stuff. All right. So, I mean, we, we are, um, we have a telehealth center. That's my day job is, is running the clinic. So we're, we have new telehealth patient options for people. So we have group 
um, concierge options. We have one-on-one telehealth concierge options. Yeah, and then we have people just getting laps. So we have definitely options for people if they want us to look at it, if we yeah. need to look at it. But I am such a fan of these direct-to-consumer labs out there that are providing actionable data. And I realize that many people don't need or want a functional medicine doctor right at the point this point in their life. They just want to learn about their health. Yeah. And maybe they will take the labs to us at some point, but they don't need to. And what's cool with a lot of these direct-to-consumer labs is they will give you recommendations to do on your own. Yeah. And I, I love that. So if um, I want people to have agency over their health. And I think that the the democratization of health information, the decentralization of mm-hmm. health information in many ways is so good because it's there was always this gatekeeper, right? It's like like you needed to go someone with a white coat and get this health information and they told you to take this pill for this and this it was this medicinal matching game and that was in the options. Now we have uh, the the age of gatekeepers when it comes to so many things, least of all, you know, it, it, most important of all, probably would be health information. This is your body and you have the right to know about what's going on in your body. So I, I, one that comes to mind, it's a company called In Inside Tracker. Am I saying it right? Inside Tracker. I say it all the time. Oh, okay. Well, God I, bless so you. For, cool- God bless you for mentioning that one because they're actually advertising with us right now. But I was gonna, <laughs> I was gonna let you go anyway. So that is one. So I just had mine done. I literally just had okay. that. So here's more free advertising for them. But had it done, and it comes with this list of, hey, you are compromised here. Here are some things that you can do to help that. So yeah, I really appreciated that. So thanks for mentioning. That's amazing. Yeah. Okay. Hey, they're good. I mean, a group of researchers from Harvard, Tufts, MIT, really providing data that's helpful uh, for people. And, you know, it's it's a good starting point. They're going to run labs that are beyond the basic ones. You don't need a doctor for it. I think that's wonderful. And then if you need a functional medicine doctor later on, we can run some additional stuff if you need it. But look, most of the people, you can get a lot of information from that lab. And what I also like about Insight Tracker, this is not a sponsored post at all from my perspective, is you can actually see how you're aging from the inside out. You can actually see your your chronological age versus biological age and see um, your aging. And you can actually, based on their recommendations, actually improve your age. You can <laughs> reverse uh, accelerated aging. I, I did that. I, they, they tacked on the, whatever they call it, the age thing. And so I'm yeah. 52. Mine came back at 42, which Amazing. is, it's good. I, I want it, I want it lower. So I want a bigger <laughs> span on that. Okay. Until I see thirties, that doesn't count. Yeah, it, totally, totally. <laughs> um, so I am interested because it's benefited me on food allergies, finding out the things, whether it's allergy sensitivities, whatnot. Um, I've been grateful for that. And I found out for myself, eggs is, is pretty high up there for me. Um, uh, legumes and beans uh, are, are pretty high up, like green beans. I, I, who's ever allergic to green, green beans or, you know, allergic slash sensitive. I think we use that word uh, allergy a lot, but is there, I'm not aware literally of one out there, a direct consumer food allergy test. Do you know of one? There are other ones out there. I don't know if, if it's a uh, tracker does one, but there's like, I don't, think, um, I don't know that they do. Everly well is another one. Mm, mm-hmm. There's a zoomer. I think there's one. There's so many labs out there. Viome may do something like this as well. I, I think yeah. that what, what my mind goes to, I'll tell you my hot take on uh, food sensitivity testing is more 
those labs for most people in most cases there's exceptions to what i'm about to say most cases most people it's more of a sign of intestinal permeability or leaky gut syndrome and less to do about those foods okay so remember all labs are snapshots in time so if like green beans or like strawberries or whatever whatever random innocuous vegetable or fruit show up shows up on there i want people to realize they don't necessarily have to remove that food forever and ever. Amen. They just want to, why, what's my body telling me? What's this lab telling me? And if you get a lots of, if you get lots of food positive on there, oftentimes it's foods that people tend to eat a little bit more of. And that's not always the case. And then sometimes it's just, there's a hyper immunoreactivity across the board where it's showing that the body's reacting to lots of different things. And if you went back to that lab the next day or a couple like the next week, you may see different foods being positive. Because to me, okay. I think the action step, like what do I get out of this lab data set when you talk about food sensitivity testing? For me, most of the time, it's ruling in intestinal permeability. That that's what you have to deal with. Actually, healing the gut, getting integrity of as far as the immune system is concerned and resilience, so you can reintroduce those foods. So that's not to say removing those foods for a time couldn't improve progress yeah. uh, as far as symptoms because it, it may um, not always needed. But um, I, 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 I'm glad that you pointed that like allergies versus sensitivities or you know intolerances, like the the I think the interchangeability between that. These aren't true food allergies at these food sensitivity testing. And I, what can happen is people unintentionally, these labs can lend itself without proper context to fear and anxiety around healthy foods, like this orthorexia that I think is not helpful. So I, I think it's just important to talk about because that can be helpful, but they're not like the gospel where they never change forever and ever. It's there's, there's a lot of variability when it comes to these things. Well, I appreciate you saying that because I've experienced it myself and I've seen it with other people. When you get to the point of, of fearing food, it's a bad place yeah. to be in. Yeah. Well, let me then, let me anchor us then with on the side of feelings. Now, obviously, you know, I'm, I'm advocating the book. That's what we're here to get. So go get Will's book, uh, gut feelings, uh, find it on Amazon or wherever. And, are there, you reference Brene Brown in there, and of course she's got resources. Are there some highlight ones, any person, provider, book, whatever? And it may be a different, another one that you have as well, but that you would, if somebody's sitting there right now and they want a resource immediately and want to go you know, order something on Amazon to mm-hmm. get some insight into their, well, as you said, to, to look inward and get some insight into yourself in regards to these you know, gut feelings that they may be dealing with that are harming them, their health and they want to get some insight. Yeah. Well, I would definitely follow the, the tools and the protocol within gut feelings. Yeah. I teach these feeling practices like self-compassion and gratitude and breath work and meditation and somatic practices. Those are all very much important from a vagal tone, nervous system regulation, calming these stress hormone responses in the body. If they want further reading beyond that, actually, Dr. Nicola Pera, who actually wrote the foreword to Gut yeah, Feelings, I saw that. Uh, she's, she's the holistic psychologist on Instagram, but she's a holistic psychologist naturally. And she does amazing work. She has amazing books, like multiple books out um, and has more coming up that are, are great further reading, I would say, for people that want to learn about what I'm talking about here, like the polyvagal theory and mm-hmm. how to metabolize stored trauma that I talk about in the book, but she talks about as well. And um, Brene Brown's a great resource. Uh, Dr. Caroline Leaf, 
mm-hmm. is brilliant uh, neuroscientist who one of her books is called Clean Up, Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess. She has a new one coming out about for kids, uh, which is an app as well. Just a brilliant mind. Um, Dr. Daniel Amen, who is another brilliant psychiatrist talking about these things. Dr. Uma Naidu, who's another psychiatrist, a nutritional as a psychiatrist. She, um, the, a lot of these are friends and colleagues of mine who wrote forward or blurbs about the book, but their work just stands on its own. Dr. Ume Naidu, Dr. Drew Ramsey, Dr. Ellen Vora, The Anatomy of Anxiety. These are all psychiatrists and psychologists that just are great uh, resources. I hope I didn't miss anybody, but I think that's most of them. Well, and, and then I'm going to give everybody your full list in the intro as yeah. well. So I want them to dig in with you. Man, I, I the book is... Uh, is significant. It stands out. Like you said, it's different than any book you've written. It's different in the category I would normally put it in. Even functional medicine, I'd say it stands out and really brings us to, yeah, what I'm seeing in myself uh, as well as others is is such a primary culprit that we are missing as we look at the basics of nutrition, exercise, sleep, and whatnot. Man, thank you for doing this, for writing a book unlike any you've ever written before and bringing it to us. I am uh, the chief recipient, but eager to share this with the audience as well. Thanks for the time, Will, and the insight. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. Well, there you go. And there is more to come, of course, in ensuing episodes with Dr. Will Cole. His book, again, is Gut Feelings, Healing the Shame-Fueled Relationship Between What You Eat and How You Feel. And you can connect with him at drwillcole.com. Dr. Will Cole. Thank you for tuning in to this self-helpful podcast where I strive to help you and me elevate our personal experience and the way we show up for others. Stay driven, my friends.